Good morning again. If you have a Bible, uh, please open it to John chapter 9. I want to share with you two things this morning. The first thing is that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he wants to be your shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he wants to be your shepherd. So this is a really beautiful thing about Holy Scripture that written over more than a thousand years in different parts of the world, Scripture tells one magnificent story. And this morning, our three Scriptures, 1 Samuel, Psalm 23, and John chapter 9, converge around the theme of a shepherd who will care for the people of God. A shepherd who will care for the people of God. Now, John 9, in case you're noticing this and you want, you're going to doubt me um, or ask a question later, John 9 doesn't specifically say that Jesus is a shepherd, but it is leading into John chapter 10 where Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 9, he is showing us how he is the shepherd with one, one person. And again, this one person represents all of us human beings who are born blind, and Jesus wants to be our shepherd as well. So the theme emerges in 1 Samuel with this unlikely boy who will become the shepherd of the people, a shepherd king. And then in Psalm 23, that same boy who is now a man makes the statement, the Lord is my shepherd. So in saying or writing that, David made the most personal statement about God that had ever been made in all religion. The Lord is my shepherd. It's actually probably the most personal statement that's ever been made in all religion. The Lord is my shepherd. In John um, chapter 9, God in flesh shows himself to be the good shepherd by seeking out the lost and the lonely the lowly and the lonely, (laughs) this blind man. So this story, as I said, is not just about one man. It's about every person. The gospel story is about uh, Jesus, the light of the world who leads people out of darkness and confusion and into the light. Who better to represent our darkness and confusion that we suffer from in the world than a man who has lived in darkness all his life, born blind, This is a kind of darkness that many of us struggle to ever comprehend. He has lived in darkness all his life. Now the story is about Jesus being the good shepherd and seeking all of us out to be our shepherd. And it opens by telling us that as Jesus passed by, this is verse 1 of John 9, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And we could brush over that but there's something in it that we need to see. Jesus has a radar for people who are in need, who are lost. Jesus' eyes and his heart are drawn toward people who are lost. This is what we saw last week with the Samaritan woman. Jesus goes to a woman whom the whole world has rejected. And the same is true with this man. 
And the same is true now in the world. Jesus' heart is drawn toward those who are lost and lonely. The disciples ask Jesus this brutal question. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now the disciples here are bearing witness to what God says about man in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The disciples are representing man's need to make sense of things, but the problem is we only look at the surface of things. God sees deeper. Now you have to figure this guy, this blind man, has faced these kinds of assumptions all his life. Imagine this in the ancient world. He couldn't do school like other children. He wasn't going to be able to make a living like other men. So cruel assumptions have been the norm for him all of his life. And Jesus here squarely debunks karma. The karma, this Middle Eastern karma that they believed in then, the kind of karma that is still believed in now. Karma is attractive, at least the positive side of it. Because it's simple and it allows us to explain things. And we have a need to be able to explain things, don't we? To be certain of things. You do good things, good things happen. Bad things, bad things happen. Now, the Bible absolutely accounts for wise behavior typically leading to good things, vice versa, foolish behavior typically leading to bad things, right? That's called wisdom literature. The Bible accounts for this. But it's not so simple that those are always the way that things work out. The world is more broken than that, and also, thankfully, God is much more gracious than that. What we do not typically account for is that if karma were true, none of us could ever do enough to earn God's mercy and love. You see, karma turns God into a moral slot machine instead of the God he claims to be, a shepherd who desires to lay down his life for the lost. God is much more loving than karma ever can be. Jesus says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's verse 3. Now this poor man's life is going to become a canvas upon which God's beautiful work will be displayed. And in saying this, this story points forward to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to share these with you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What happens this man, to this man is a picture of salvation. He cannot save himself. He cannot heal himself of his blindness. Only Jesus can heal him. But in healing him, Jesus also enlists him in his service. And he shows beautiful things through him. Jesus heals the man in this strange way, putting mud on his eyes and telling him to go wash them. And the mud is reminiscent of the first creation. When man is created from the dirt. And the water speaks of the new creation that comes about through baptism. As I said earlier, the healing of the man's blindness is a new creation. 
But it, you, I hope you were able to hear what happens next in this man's life. It's such a lengthy and complex story. He's immediately thrust into a world that does not understand him. Did you hear all the conversations? Some are saying it's the same man, or others are saying, no, no, it can't be the same guy. He just looks like him. And he's like, I'm the man. I think I know. I'm the man. It, it's almost comical. Then he finds himself for being associated with Jesus, even though he barely knows who Jesus is. The people are like, where is he? I, I don't know where he is. Who is he? I, I don't know. Maybe he's a prophet, I think. And immediately he's in trouble just because he got healed. His own parents are too afraid to stick up for him. Look, it might sound good that your parents say they're of age, ask them, but not if it means you're going to get in trouble his parents are scared and they're cowards. And by the end of the story, simply because this man has told the truth at every turn, to the extent that he knew it, he's kicked out of his community. It's the same with the Samaritan woman that we talked about last week. Her testimony is simply, he told me everything I ever did. It's really simple. And that leads a whole community into knowing Jesus. This man knows very little about who Jesus is. All he is able to say is, I was once blind, but now I see. And that alone gets him in trouble. And this is another part of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus and to receive his mercy into your life. You don't know the ways that it might get you in trouble. But you have to tell the truth if we're going to be people of truth. The man at the end of the story is kicked out of his community. It's, it's really strong language. It's hard for us to comprehend this, but the community meant everything. This is his social connections. This, this is his religious connections. This is everything this man has ever known, and he is thrust out. He was ignored formerly in his life, probably. Now he's hated. But at the end of the story... This is where Jesus reveals himself again to be the shepherd. At the end of the story, this is verse 35. It says that Jesus heard they had cast him out, so he found him. That's a really important part of the story. He found him. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Listen, the man at this point hasn't seen Jesus. Remember, he was blind and he had mud caked on his eyes the last time he talked to him. He's not seen him yet. So he says, who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have now seen him and he's speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. Now, Jesus in this moment is fulfilling the words of Psalm 27. Listen to what Psalm 27 says. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord takes me in. That is the cost for some people who will follow Jesus. Is that they will lose all the family they've ever known. Jesus is also fulfilling the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I can lack nothing. In other words, with God, somehow, in a mysterious way, we have everything. With God, somehow, we have everything. And also vice versa, without God, 
You may feel like you have a lot, but you actually have nothing. Because at the end, you will lose everything. You can only keep God, the shepherd. So this is who Jesus is. He's the good shepherd, and he seeks us out to become our shepherd. He wants to find you. He wants to live with you and be in relationship with you. This man who is a picture of us, who is lost in the world and living in darkness, he gradually, progressively comes into the light. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to come more and more into the light, out of confusion. Can't, I think we can all agree that the world is a confusing place to live in. And Jesus wants us to discover the light. Clarity of seeing Him as the Lord and the shepherd. But there's another side to this coin. You see, God always extends an offer of comfort, but there's always a challenge within that offer. It always comes with a challenge. Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks us out to be our shepherd, but if we have pride, here's the challenge, if we have pride, Jesus cannot be our shepherd. There is a hard message within this story. Within all the beauty of it, of this lonely, lowly man being healed, there is a sharp edge. Because the movement of the story is that the man who begins in blindness and darkness moves more and more toward the light, but the Jewish leaders who assume themselves to be in the light actually move more and more into the darkness. Why does that happen? Why do they, these people who claim to have knowledge of the faith, why is it that they move deeper and deeper into darkness? It happens because of pride. It's sad and it's almost comical if it were not so real. Their pride actually makes them, and I, I hate to use this word, but it's true, it actually makes them dumb. And it makes them cruel. It makes them dumb and it makes them cruel. And this happens today in our world every single day. Where pride causes people to become dumb and cruel. And when I use that word, I'm not seeking to be cruel. But what, what I'm saying is that if we have pride, it will make us less and less intelligent. Less and less clear in what is real and what is true. So the Jewish leaders say this about Jesus. They say, we know that this man is a sinner. You see, it's the same trouble that Nicodemus had when he was interacting with God, uh, Jesus. He knew too much. G.K. Chesterton, this Christian um, for, who died in the 1930s, wrote a story about the man who knew too much, and he, he became blind to all kinds of things in his world that he couldn't see because of how much he knew. The Jewish leaders, it's, it's amazing that they care so much about God's law. And they know that in the past, people have broken God's law and it has cost their nation so much. They even had to go into exile away from their land because people had broken God's law. But what they do in response to that is they end up putting all these safeguards, if you will, around God's law. And they treat them just as important as God's law. 
And so actually in this story, there, there was a law that they created that people were not allowed to knead dough on the Sabbath. So I don't know if you noticed, they kept saying that Jesus made mud and put it on the man's eyes. Did you notice that? The reason is because they see that as a form of breaking the Sabbath. It's just like kneading dough. The problem is, that wasn't one of the original laws God gave. It was one they made up. And then they treated that just as important as God's law. And listen, I think that when we look out on our world, that Christians and non-Christians alike are tempted to create laws for ourselves and to measure everybody we know by whether they follow that law that we create. And then to make statements like the Pharisees make, we know that this person is not from God. The danger and I want to challenge you, Christian, especially, the danger that you face when you move into the world is pride. Knowledge is not what will save you. Listen, if it's having all the correct theology that will save us, if that's the key thing, and I know we're on dangerous territory here, good theology is important, but if you make good theology the key to your salvation, then salvation is just about your works and about you being smart enough. And then your salvation is about pride, and it's not about Jesus. If you do not follow the Lord Jesus in his humility, his meekness and his love, you'll move more and more into darkness, not into light. One of the great spiritual works of the church in the last thousand years is called the cloud of unknowing. Can you believe that? The book, it's called the cloud of unknowing. And the key to that work is this man teaches people to sit in God's presence and to stop focusing so much on what they know, but more on God knowing them. And I want to say to you, Christian, non-Christian, the key to your life, to you being a true human, is not you knowing, it's you being known. It's you being known by the true shepherd and Lord of the world, the true king who knows the depths of your soul and is willing still to love you. And while that may seem like a small thing and it would be, is a hard thing to you know, solve all the problems in the world, I think that one of the big problems in the world is we go into the world thinking about how big the problems are rather than thinking about the meek Savior, Jesus, who came and died so that all of us would confess our sins and our pride and our selfishness and our greed and would sit, submit our lives to Him. And so a true church and a faithful church will be a church that walks in that kind of humility and meekness before the world. Our job is not to go out into the world and our party to win or our way to rule the day, it is to go and lay down our lives the way that the Good Shepherd laid down his life and to serve in meekness and in love. Fear ends up tearing apart this community. 
But what we're told in 1 John is that the love of God and perfect love casts out fear. So the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd. He wants to be your shepherd. He laid down his life to bring you into his light. But to be found by him, we have to continually part with our pride and renounce that we can take care of ourselves by what we do or by what we know and release ourselves into his mercy. Are you doing that? Are you releasing yourself into his mercy so that you can go and show others mercy as well? Amen.